Well, hey, good morning, Grace. Thanks for joining us today, and thanks for watching us online. Uh, it is, it's Christmas week. Christmas Eve is Thursday. I don't know about but it's like, what happened? Anyone? Like, what happened? And, like, what do you get, like, a wonderful woman who has everything and thinks her husband's love for her is more than enough? <laughs> what do you get? What do you get that person? I don't, I don't know, actually. I'm not... I'm not sure. Uh, we'll, we'll see. There's still 10. There's, so, there's still so much time, though, right? What if, what if, anyway, it is great to be here today. It's great. Let me tell you, this is a great Sunday to be with us because today we're going to look at like, how to conquer those things that conquer us, how to defeat those areas in our life that constantly defeat us, how to win in a part of your life where you're a loser. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Who's in? You guys want to play? Today we're going to look at, if you're, taking, if you're taking notes, simple outline. Jesus Christ is your king, and what difference does that make? Today we're going to look at the title or the office of Jesus Christ being the king and how that absolutely helps us become like Christ in all of life. It has the potential of radically changing the way we live our lives, just knowing who he is in that title. Okay, first, Jesus Christ is your king. Jesus is your king. We just sang that. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let her receive her king. What is a king? What is a king? In almost every culture, in every epic, a king has at least two essential attributes. One is ownership, and the second is the right to rule that, that he owns. Ownership. A king owns everything. He owns the land. He owns the soil. He owns the people planting on that soil. He gets to choose what crop is going to go out next year. Hey, honey, what do you think? Strawberries next year? Yes, everybody plants strawberries. He does that. The people there are renters. They, they pay the king back with their produce. They get to live there. It's not theirs. He owns them. And then the second thing comes kind of naturally, he's a ruler. The king is a ruler. He has a right to rule all that he owns. He, he chooses what will be planted, where, where you will live, where you will build, uh, whether you'll live or die. You die. They die. <laughs> whether they go to war or there will be peace. That's why Hamlet says there's nothing scarier, a few things scarier than a bored king. Sometimes they just go to war because they can because they can. A king owns and a king rules, and the people do what they're told. Jesus is king. Literally, from the beginning of his life to the end of his life, the writers of, of, of his experience here on earth keep telling us he's a king. Even before his birth, even before he's even born, his announcement, classic uh, Christmas uh, passage in Luke chapter 1, Mary was greatly troubled with the words uh, and, and, and wondered what kind of greeting she had just received from this angel. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. He owns it all, and he rules it all. 
All four writers of his life, biographies, are called Gospels. They all write about him being a king, but no writer more than the book of Matthew. Matthew makes his theme of that story of Jesus that Jesus is king. He owns it. He rules it. He starts his book and ends his book with this in mind. He starts his story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, during the time of King Herod, the Magi came from the east uh, to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And we saw a star in the east, uh, his star in the east, and have come to worship him. That's the beginning of Matthew. The end of Matthew and the last paragraph in Matthew Jesus comes and says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now, go tell everyone how to obey all that I have commanded. That's a king saying, I'm going to rule. I'm a king, you just obey. There are too many stories in the Bible. If you look at, if you look at his storyline in those four gospels, you can just see him being a king where he owns it and he rules it. One of my favorite stories is, uh, the men are, all the men are, are on a boat, and they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they are, they are caught off guard by a squall. There's just torrential storm. And some of these men are seasoned fishermen, and they are scared for their life. And Jesus is sleeping, and they wake him up and tell him all that's happening and how their death is imminent. And Jesus stands up and just says, sit, stay, like he's commanding a dog. And everything just stops, not a ripple on the lake, instantly. And the boys say, even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, yeah, because he, he owns the waves and he rules the winds because he's king. He's King Jesus. His last week of life, it's all about him being a king. Like Palm Sunday, it's his triumphal entry. <laughs> he's coming to Jerusalem as a king. And, and when he's... Tr- uh, while, they're, while he's coming down, here's what they're chanting. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. When he stands before Pilate, Pilate just like, let's quit beating around the bush here. Is it true? He says this, are, you are the king then, said Pilate. He goes, yeah, Jesus says, yeah, you're right in saying that I am king. In fact, for this very reason I was born. For this I came into the world to testify that it is truth. And everyone on the side of this truth listens to me. I'm a king. And everybody I rule listens to me. He's the king of the Jews. On his crucifixion cross, over his head, was a sign in three languages. (laughs) King of the Jews. He's the king. Jesus Christ is the king. There, there's part one. He owns and he rules everything, everyone. Part two of our outline. So what difference does that make? How could his kingship make a difference in our life? And I would say, oh, it matters. It, it changes the things that are unchangeable in us. It gives us power over the things that we're, where we feel we're powerless. This, this kingship, this ownership of us. And here's why. Because the issue is motivation. What motivates us to change? There's a lot of different motives. There's a lot of different motivations for change. We know this like in, as parents as well, but in the Bible, there's primarily five different motivations for change in the Bible. God uses all five of them, okay? But in the context of our storyline, we're, we're going to see that the, 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 the offices that we've studied, prophet, priest, and king, 
they kind of appeal to different motivations. Again, just like parents, we, we use different incentives. There's carrots and there's sticks, right, to help our children become who they were meant to become, who God wanted them to become. And God uses five different ways to help us to become like Christ in all of life, and here's why. Because there are few things that glorify God more than a changed life. When a person surrenders his life completely to the Lord Jesus and they start changing from the inside out, that, that is what makes angels gawk and stare. So, as there's different motivations for parenting and there's different motivations the way God uses to, to help us change, that's, that's what he does for in these different offices. So, like, in, 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 the, in, the, in the office of the prophet. Okay, two weeks ago, Kevin was te- teaching on the prophet. And the prophet, it's, it's, it's the wisdom, it's the wisdom, the intelligence of God coming to us. And it's in that context where the motivation is, he'll say, this is the reasonable way to live. This is the way you should, this, this is the way you should live your life because it's, it's good. It's good for you. Okay? It's the smart way to live. Sometimes even, sometimes even as parents we would say it's the smart way to live. It's usually the, it's the lazy way to live. It's easier if you do this way, this obedience. And your life changes because it makes sense to you. Great, right. As a priest, sometimes a parent talks almost like a priest. A priest says, and when Jesus comes as our great high priest, we realize that... He, lived, he, he exchanged his life for our life, that he was the great high priest that didn't sacrifice blood and, or the, bulls, the blood of bulls and sheep or goats, but his own life. And what does that happen? What motivates us with that understanding? Gratitude, joy. And so it's like, yeah, look at this, this joy overflowing, your gratitude for all that Jesus has done for you. You should obey. You should do these things. You should change your life. And many times we do that. Untold gratitude. I want to become like Christ in all of life. Parents, sometimes. Look, <laughs> you got free food and housing here. How about you pick up your socks? Huh? How about that? How about you're a little bit grateful and maybe you mow a lawn once a month? See, it shows up, I'm just saying, as a prophet, as a priest. Parents sometimes talk like prophets. This is the wise thing to do. Talk like priests. How about a little gratitude? Kings, kings just say, because I said so. And parents say that too, don't they? (laughs) Because I said so. You haven't said that? You don't have teenagers. It'll come. It'll happen. See, here's the thing. There's no choice with kings. There's, <laughs> there's, and and, and there, there's, there's, there's freedom in republics and, and monarchy or, or in, in democracies, but there is no freedom in monarchies. The king declares, he, he, has, he has edicts, and then people obey because he owns them, because he rules them. And this idea of just being under authority And doing what you're told, I know it could chafe on you a little bit, but it's nothing new. It's it's not like a new motivation. As a matter of fact, you know, we appeal to that in our own lives when we want something over there and we know that the road to that destination, we're not very good on that road. When we want to get something in our life, we want to become something in our life, and we know we're not very, we're not like able to rise to that. What we do is we we bring in authority into our lives, and we let them make all our choices for us. Let me give you a couple examples. Look, 
Um, you want to become a, a better athlete. And so you, you hire a coach, a personal trainer, and then you make the choice to get that coach, that trainer, and then you don't make any other choices because now that coach owns you. That coach rules you. He tells you, because if you get your choice involved in getting in shape, like really getting in shape, your choices will say things like, it's too hot, it's too cold, I'm too tired, it's like too late, I don't like, and what does the coach say? Run until you throw up. And you do, and you pay them to say that. So you'll, if you think about, if you think about working out, you won't work out. There's no thinking in working out. No thinking there. The largest the largest athletic apparel, what is their tagline? Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Let's feel about it. What? Just, just do it. Under Armour. You know what theirs is? Rents do. <laughs> the rents do. Does that sound a little ominous to you? Doesn't sound like there's a lot of choice in that. Rents do. Get to work get to work. The point is, it's the coach. You just obey. Sometimes men and women want to become more than they could ever become, and it's their choices that get them in trouble all the time. And so they go into the military because they want to be all they can be, but getting there, they keep tripping and falling. And so they go, and they enlist, and they end up in some big gymnasium with all their bags, and then somebody says, drop your bags, raise your hand. And that's the last time they'll choose for a long time. They will be sworn in, and at the end of that swearing in, they are in the military, and they are introduced to their new drill sergeant. That drill sergeant owns them. He rules them. He's going to tell him, I'm your mother, your father, your nation, your God, small g. And if they wonder that, they can ask him, and he'll tell them. He's going to tell them when to sleep, when to eat, when to go to the bathroom. He's going to tell them what to do and when to do it. And by the way, there's just not a whole lot of negotiating in this. There's no reason. There's no passion involved. There's just obedience. Hey, Sarge, I'm just understand, I'm trying to understand, we kind of took a vote, and we're trying to wonder about the wisdom of having to run in this desert sun wearing a hazmat suit. Could you, could you like, convince us why this is a good idea? Doesn't respond to that. You know, Sarge, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, like, this, this untold everlasting love for you is not doing what it needs to to get me to stand out in the winter snow wearing nothing but underwear. So I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. That's not how it works. He tells you what to do, and then you do it. Sir, yes, sir. He's the sergeant, so you just obey. You'll be glad you did, just like you were glad you obeyed the coach. Can I put it still the third way? Some of you geeks out there, this is the way. If you don't know what that means, it means you don't have a choice. It also means that we can't be friends. <laughs> if you don't know what this is the way means, then I don't know what you're doing with all this spare time. <laughs> Jesus is your king. And what difference does that make? He owns you and he rules you. And if you think about the impossible things in life, in your life, those things that keep kicking you to the curb all the time or most of the time, could you maybe not try to reason 
and not try to pull in your passion for the love of God and just appeal to duty, obligation, submission to authority. He's the king. Just obey him. Just obey him. Look, let's do this, okay? Think of an example in your life where the bully in your life comes to you and it always ends up with you getting with sand kicked in your face. Can you think of, I don't know, an area where you struggle and by struggle mean lose uh, uh, some kind of a, a passion, maybe eating too much or drinking too much or, or greed or envy, something? Can you, can you think of that? A fear? Fear is a big one now. A compulsion towards being afraid. Okay, do you have it? We're going to look at We're going to put it to this test case, but do you have it? All right, turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is. No, no, we're not going to do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have our masks on. Otherwise, we would. We can't do that. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. Now that you have that in mind, now that you have that in mind, I want, I want us to start thinking about how maybe the reason we fail so much in this particular area is because we're trying to reason about it like he's a prophet or we're trying to, uh, like, like passion and, 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 and enjoy our way into obedience. And I want to appeal now, like, just, just do what the king tells you to do because here's the thing. If it's good enough to obey a mean coach or it's good enough to obey an ugly sergeant, then how much more would you be willing to obey a good and beautiful king, King Jesus? King Jesus. Let's look at a couple areas. Three, I picked three areas that have shown up, uh, showed themselves in my life anyway, and how this office of kingship changed my life, changed me to become like Christ in a new way in a part of my life that wasn't that way. One was generosity. I uh, have been for like decades in slavery to greed. Not, not like coveting stuff because that's, that just wasn't a thing. It was more like money is safety. It wasn't, we didn't have a lot growing up and we weren't safe in many, in many ways. And so money equals safety and more money equals more safety. And so the idea of becoming generous with what <laughs> the very thing that's keeping me safe was contrary to what I could do. I just, I just couldn't do it. And there's, there's so many passages in the Bible about generosity. There are, there are passages that are appealing to the prophet Jesus saying, look, there's a lot of really good reasons to be generous. Okay, it just like it, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It is more blessed to give than receive. It is good to build your house on generosity. Joy comes with generosity. You can't outgive God. The more you give, the more you get. The more you hold, the more you lose. All of those reasons, I saw them, I read them, didn't change me. Then there's passages in the Bible that are appealing to the prophet or the priest, rather, Jesus, where it's like, look at what he has done, this great high priest that gave his very life for us, and, and joy overflowing with gratitude. He gave you all this. Why don't you just give a little bit of stuff? I got that. I get it. I get it. Didn't change a thing in me. Didn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't write the check because it had more power over me than my reason or my passions. I couldn't do it. And then I'm reading this, and then I'm just reading the Bible, and Jesus is saying, you can't have two kings you can only have God or money, and you're going to do whatever he says. And I realized, ah, a slave cannot have two masters. A slave cannot have two kings. I have chosen my king, and I chose poorly. 
I'm doing what it says. The last Old Testament prophet appeals not to reason, not to passion. When he comes and, and he convicts Israel, one of the reasons they go in time out for so long is because of their lack of generosity. And here's what he says. Here's, listen to the motive that's happening here. This is Malachi chapter 1. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it to the Lord, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Watch this. For I am a great king, says the Lord God Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I read that and that's me. Every month, I have the choice lamb to give to the Lord. This is my first offering. And then I wait to the end of the month, and what do I have left? Scraps. Somehow, always scraps. Blind sheep, crippled goats, whatever it might be, you get what's left over. Can you imagine having Jesus Christ, the king, over to your house for Christmas? You know, family, big spread, right, turkey and ham and all that thing. Let's just pretend, okay? And then Jesus sits down, and, and every, everyone gets fed. Everyone gets their plates done, not Jesus. Then Jesus, you get Jesus' plate after everyone's done and said, oh, look, a little bit of mashed potatoes left over. Here, you got a couple chicken bones. Here's two green beans. Good for you. There you go, Jesus. Happy Christmas meal. You get what's left over. You think, is that any way to treat a king? A king gets leftover. No, that's that passage hurt me so bad, just realizing his place in the whole universe. The winds and the waves obey him, but I don't. I'm just going to do this because I need to obey. If he owns me and he rules me, he owns my wallet and rules my wallet. And then, so I just started like, wasn't out of joy, wasn't out of logic. It was out of obedience and duty. And I just started giving. I just Started doing what I was told, and it's been awesome. I have become more like Christ in the areas of generosity in my life, and it's been, it's been great. It was duty-driven, okay? But let me tell you something. Those other passages are true. It is better to give than receive. It honestly is. There is joy overflowing when a person becomes generous within their heart. It's great. You get there any way you can. But in this way, in this part of my life, it's... It just needed duty. I just needed the king to tell me what to do. Couldn't be trusted with choice. Look at the passage, passage, I'm sorry, passions in our life. Things like food or entertainment or some kind of substance in our life that is winning all the time. Maybe it's winning because you're not bringing that under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus the king. There's few passions stronger than, than sexual Lust, right? And so watch how in the Bible there's this appeal to just obey when it comes to those sorts of things. He says in 1 Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This is just King Jesus barking out orders. Just obey me. And why? Why do you obey? Look, the rest of the section says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is inside of you? whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor your God with your body. Your body? <laughs> you can't even say that right. His body. He paid for it. He owns it. He rules it. You do what you're told. 
in sexual immorality issues, Coach Jesus says, go long. <laughs> Sergeant Jesus says, what are you doing in this battle? Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Get out of here. You're not even supposed to be here. King Jesus, he's a king. He owns us. He rules us. We do what we're told. Just obey. Just obey. This, happens, this works with all of our passions. Uh, like, Melinda and I were on a path towards anxiety just this week. Like, oh, quick, let's go worry about stuff that we can't do anything about. And we are walking down this path ever so gleefully, and it just came to me. goes, hey, wait a minute. King Jesus has spoken here. He told us. He said, do not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. And we said, sir, yes, sir. And then we just started having fun that day. Just obeyed. Can't reason your way out of worry. A lot of times. Can't passion love your way out of anxiety. A lot of times. But you can be duty-bound to do what you're told. That'll work. That'll work. You know, when it comes to the Sabbath, practicing the Sabbath, we kind of, we, we took some of the passages of the Bible when it comes to the Sabbath, and we applied that to our parenting a lot. You know, the Sabbath is taking a day off to worship and to rest. And when we talk to our children, we would say, you know, uh, you should do this because it's good for you. Uh, as the priest, we would say, look at all God has done for us, and we should be grateful and respond backward, back to him and, and, and practice. God practiced the Sabbath. After six days, he rested. Look at that. He's like our great high priest. We should practice that too. Good. He's an example. It's reasonable. But most of the time, we just said, because we said so. We're going to go to bed early on Saturday night. We're going to wake up on Sunday. We're, the, the, the truck leaves at 0850, and you're going to be in that truck. You do have a choice. You have jammies or church clothes. That's what you get to choose. But you're going to church. And then when we come home, mom's not cooking. Dad's going to buy some food that you're going to like, but it's probably really bad for you. And then mom and dad get a nap. That is the Sabbath. Now, whether you enjoy it or not is entirely up to your choice, but this is how we rule this house, like kings and queens, because we said so. And there's some passages in the Bible that teach all three of those motivations for the Sabbath. The one we used a lot was just ruling like a king. It works. It really works. And next week, if a lot of you guys come back next week and all you're wearing is jammies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, no worries because it'll still be 2020 and, like, who cares anymore, right? So better to be here in your jammies than not be here at all. Anyway, so here's the point. Here's the point. I'm, we're having fun, but I'm, I'm telling you there's a lot of power in this. Uh, Jesus comes to us. We've talked about this for three weeks now. He comes as a prophet. He comes as a priest. And he comes as a king. He's all three of those for eternity. When it comes to hard obedience... Hard acts of obedience. The prophet Jesus comes up and he says, you know what? To become like Christ in all of life, it would make sense for you to do that. It is the best life you could ever live. It's the greatest joy that you'll ever have. You should do this. It makes sense. If nothing else, it's the easiest way to live. Sometimes in our lives we have a need for sacrificial obedience. It's going to cost a lot. And the priest Jesus shows up and he motivates us with what he has and says, I am the great highest priest. The greatest exchange in all of history has taken place where I exchanged my righteousness for your sinfulness, my honor for your shame. 
I have given you power over areas where you are powerless. So when you drink from that fountain, it is joy overflowing, gratitude, gratefulness will motivate you to sacrifice because there is no sacrifice that you will give to the Lord where you won't get paid back tenfold. And that'll lead you to become like Christ in all of life, or at least in one part of your life. But, 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 if it's an act of impossible obedience in your life, maybe not the guy next to you, but in your life, it's maybe what you eat or what you drink, some kind of commitment to fear and worry, a compulsion, a compulsion. When it comes Jesus the King in his throne with his crown and all the authority in heaven and earth, he'll just tell you what to do. And you should do it because he's the king. He owns you and he is to rule you. Just obey the king. Just obey him. In our series, it's been about this. Let Jesus be Jesus for all that he is. Jesus, the prophet, listen to him. Jesus, the priest, enjoy his sacrifice and his intervention for you. And Jesus, the king, let him own you. Let him rule you. Show him that you are going to become like Christ in all of life as an expression of obedience. That's what it's like as Christ the king. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that little baby, a prophet, a priest, and the almighty king. Let's live that way. Would you join me in prayer? I'll start with a prayer from Psalm 95. For Yahweh is a great God, the king above all gods, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks. They all belong to him. The sea is his, or he made them. His hands form the very dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit that lives within us, that has uh, indwelled us, I'd ask that he would convict us of areas in our life where we need to stop thinking, stop trying to drum up enough like emotion and gratitude and thankfulness and joy to obey, that we would stop that nonsense and see you for who you are. You're the king. You own us. You rule us. Help us learn to obey, not negotiate, not litigate, just obey so that we might become like Christ and obey the, all of your commandments. And we would do that with joy. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.